0: When I hear children say, my parents expect me to be perfect, it brings up alarm bells only because I've seen the pain that perfectionism causes. And if you're a parent who is a perfectionist, a lot of times that gets displaced onto your child. But if you're a child who's a perfectionist, that causes a lot of pain and success. We have to admit that there's another side of perfectionism My guest is Julian Reeve, and I'm so excited to have him on the episode of Beyond Risk and Back. Thank you for joining me. Julian Reeve is the former music director of the Broadway musical, Hamilton. And if you haven't seen Hamilton, you need to know one thing about that musical. It's perfect. Let's hear him talk about perfectionism. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. As a perfectionist, how many times did you have to rewrite some of the things that you wrote
1: down? Oh dear, you know it—it—it it, uh, it, it went through several drafts. Let's leave it there.
0: Was it was working with an editor um, a powerful experience, a relieving experience, or did you do your own
1: editing? Uh, as a first-time author, it was an essential experience. Um, I had—I'm not a parent. So I had no idea, really, that kids' books weren't spoken in the way that I originally chose to write this book, and it became very clear that I had to write it through the eyes of the child, as opposed to through the eyes of Captain Perfection. Uh, so had I not done that, um, it would might have been a very different book. Uh, but no, it, it was it was super useful, and I, I've kind of I've learned. Uh, through my own experience with perfectionism, kind of when it's good to internally analyze, when it's good to ship it out to somebody else.
0: Your own experience with perfection, I'm assuming started before your work on Broadway and uh, in, 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 uh, in, in plays in music. How do you remember a first time of feeling that what you did wasn't good enough? How far back can you track perfectionism?
1: Yeah, um, I can track it back pretty simply to uh, the age of nine. Uh, and it probably probably started before that, but this is my first memory. Uh, I was in a choir. I was the deputy head chorister of Jesus College, Cambridge, um, and we used to do three uh, services a week and two practices, so it was a, a lot of commitment. But I was uh, I was in the choir for three years, and this was uh, this was probably towards the beginning. And we were recording an album, uh, and I'd been given one of the solos on the album, um, and uh, so you know it got to got to the piece that I was uh, singing the solo on. The solo came roughly halfway through the piece. Uh, so we we recorded one take, and immediately after the first take, I put my hand up and said uh, and asked the, the choir master whether I could do it again. My immediate feeling was it wasn't good enough. Um, fast forward uh, se- several takes later, my my arm shot up once more. At which point, the music director came over and came came over and said, Julian, it's good enough. We have to move on. Um, And my heart sank because, you know, I felt as though I was very capable of doing better. Um, And it's very interesting listening to the recording today. I was absolutely right then. I could have done it better. But there's also the argument that we would still be there recording that particular uh, hymn or psalm or whatever it was, um, because there's every chance that I I still would have said, you know, I would have just kept going with, let's do one more. I, I can do better than this
0: people who've worked for you in in musical theater and particularly in such an incredible piece like Hamilton such an such, such a it is so sensible, well thought out it's it's dynamic in the same way that the only experience when I watched it I came away and I was like there's nothing missing that's complete as far as how this experience was did your perfectionism affect the actors or do you feel that you have the skills to temper you want to do it again? Cause you know, you can pull more out of them. You can pull more out of the musicians. You can pull more out of the, the, the paper itself or, and, and if not, then what are the skills that you are using in your, in that, experience, what were the skills that you were using in that experience that allowed for forgiveness and the realness of the way those actors, it felt like they were communicating with each other through this music in so flawlessly. Is that because you are a perfectionist or is that because you knew how to temper it and give them space for their own creativity?
1: Mm, some great questions in there. So in order to um uh, Kind of how you how you manage your own perfectionism uh, when you're a leader largely depends on the type of perfectionist that you are. Um, psychologists, the, the two psychologists, Hewitt and Flett, um, denote perfectionism across three different genres. So there's self-orientated perfectionists who set and seek unrealistically high standards for themselves. There's other orientated perfectionists who set unrealistic standards for others And then there's socially prescribed perfectionists who believe that other people expect them to be perfect. So there's kind of three elements to perfectionism. And um, any perfectionist will show traits in one or more of those categories. It's very rare to find somebody that is only a self-orientated perfectionist, for example. So coming back to the question, I'm blessed in the fact that I'm not, I don't show many traits, uh, thoughts or behaviours in the other orientated perfectionism camp, which means that I let people uh, get away with um, uh, or experience a, a broader um, e- experience with more mistakes than I, than I allow myself. So I've, I allow them more forgiveness and them more freedom to be able to express themselves than I do myself. And a lot of the work I had to do uh, with with. Perfectionism, in terms of being able to manage it effectively, was learning to treat myself as I do others. Um, what what's, what's also uh, interesting in terms of how perfectionists inspire uh, others, um, I learned that you know I, I've spent a lot of my career thinking that the demand of perfection is actually the thing that created the results, when I've learned that that actually wasn't true. Um, as with anything, it's not what you ask, it's how you ask it. And a lot of my ability as a leader um, is based around my moral leadership style, which generically promotes the, the thought and the feeling that everyone should and could be performing at their best, and it's our duty to do so. And with something like Hamilton, that was easy because, you know, the art is so good that everyone kind of gets to work early and rolls their sleeves up and goes, great, let's get to work. Right. You know? Whereas there are other shows that we've all seen and, and heard that don't necessarily uh, command the same kind of commitment. Um, so, yeah, on, on Hamilton, that, that side of things was relatively easy. Um, but, yeah, it, it's a challenge for perfectionists and uh, perfectionistic leaders often struggle with, with that balance. You know, wh- what is the right balance um, in terms of trying to inspire a workforce to be the best that they can be? Where do you set your own uh, targets? Are they realistic? Uh, are they realistic for others? There's a lot for leaders to wade through. And it's also a very personal choice in terms of the solutions that they come up with. It seems
0: to me that there's a trap within perfectionism that even if you are not other-oriented or orientated, um, that you don't expect perfectionism from others, you expect that from yourself, or that you believe that others expect that from you, that even when your team, your employees, uh, the, the, the musicians you're working with and leading, the children that you have, your own children, that if they're underperforming, there's something that you could do better. That if, that if these musicians are not pulling out the, the, the picture that you hold in your head of what this could be, um, then you must be doing something wrong. If you're not going to impose perfectionism on them, is it true that when they underperform, you need to be better. Is that part of the curse of it, or is that a dynamic piece that's allowing you to explore other ways to express and deliver your intentions?
1: Mm. Yes. Yeah. Super interesting. I mean, I as as a perfectionist, I will always. You know, I'm always inadvertently leading people in the right way and what I mean by that is that I demand this the same standard of myself as I do everybody else so and and I show that physically and I show that through my leadership style and I show that through my communication so it's very clear where the bar is and it's very clear that I'm trying to meet it so simply by adopting that approach I'm actually raising everybody's game irrespective of of whether I'm a perfectionist or not um, a lot of the experience with perfectionism, leaders struggle with is the fact that everything for perfectionists is largely results-based. So coming back to the issue of kids, you know, it's like, okay, my child got an A-minus. He didn't get an A-star. So is that, there's obviously room for improvement. So rather than looking at the result to actually denote the fact that there's a problem, look at why the result happened. So we start to experience a different approach to perfectionism when we start to look at the experience of how we got to the result, as opposed to just taking the result itself to denote success. So if we take the focus away from the result, only the result, and actually we broaden the scope of what we consider perfection to be, then actually we start Uh, looking at things in a much broader context and on Hamilton this that that element was fascinating and actually played a very big role in changing my um my perception of how I can control my perfectionism so here's a prime example I would probably at least five times during the show I would uh, assess uh, assess the show uh in terms of its its perfection level based on results you know did anyone drop a word? Were all the right harmonies in place? Are the are the band um, you know? Are all of the individuals playing as I do, which is aiming for perfection? And if the answer is yes, then then great. That kind of denotes success. But it was all based on results, not experience. The minute you flip that and the minute you start to think about perfectionism in a slightly different way. So, for example, rather than if you take the song My Shot, for example, rather than getting to the very end of my shot and going, OK, everyone's sang the right lyrics, everyone's sang the right harmonies, everyone played the same notes. It must be perfect. You actually go, well, what was the experience of getting to perfection? What was the relationship like on stage between the actors in terms of storytelling? Was that perfectionism or was that perfect? How is the orchestra augmenting the performance on stage? Is there anything else that we could do? Was that perfect? So instead of looking at perfection in a very linear way, you're looking at it laterally to, to denote success. And actually, when you combine that then with other aspects. And we'll we'll probably talk about self-compassion slightly more later on. But when you combine that with self-compassion, specifically mindfulness, you can end up in a real state where, as in a positive state, where you're feeling things very differently because you're so involved and therefore able to denote success through the experience real time and that actually happened to me at the kennedy center halfway through conducting uh, a, a performance at hamilton i became so relaxed and so into the mindfulness element of self-compassion i actually found myself floating above myself i was probably three three and a half feet above myself able to watch myself conduct the show wow and that was the the most but i came off stage it, i managed to, to keeping the same mindset during the interval and during the intermission and came off stage at the end of the show, burst into tears. It was the most incredible, almost out of body experience that actually proved that by being focused on the experience of achieving perfection, rather than the results, you can actually enhance your own ability to do better.
0: So this, this brings up a strange question, Perhaps because I'm, I'm listening to this, you know, you, you, you have a book for children, Captain Perfection and the Secret of Self-Compassion. This is going to, this book is going to help parents and kids, but when I'm listening to your story, one of the things that's coming up to me is wondering, uh, does success through perfectionism reinforce the perfectionist's. State of mind that has been causing so much pain, stress, strife in yourself and your family in the mirror with employees. How do you separate the fact that when you strive for perfection, like you, you achieve the top 1% in your industry, in your career, as someone who is so sought after? How do we tell parents, hey, look, if you put this kind of pressure on your kit, it's going to cause some issues? But then, on the other side, they're going to be the best of the best of the best because we've seen experienced felt uh, perfection.
1: Yeah, great question. And to your point, this is why many perfectionists and parents of perfection uh, perfectionistic children don't actually address their perfectionism, right? Because they they consider it to be a positive and only a positive right. trait. It's super important that we get further into the weeds of the detail of what perfectionism actually is. And at the very least, it's so it's multidimensional. It's not a one dimensional um, conversation. And at its kind of base level, perfectionism can be described as adaptive and maladaptive. OK, so adaptive is all the positive stuff that parents can see in their kids when they're, you know, th- there's an omnipresent um, kind of quest to be the best. They, they want to they, they enjoy the challenge of competition. They want to work hard, you know, all of the things that kind of make our kids stand out, perhaps from the crowd. But the other side, the maladaptive elements are incredibly closely connected with anxiety, depression, burnout. Even suicide. I mean, cardiovascular disease, as I found out, is also closely connected. So in answer to the question, um, we have to figure out the pros and cons of our perfectionism. So it's almost as simple as write down, how does perfectionism affect me? You know, does it affect me physically? Does it affect me Um, in the workplace? Does it affect me at school, in relationships with my parents? How does it affect me? Um, And simply by gaining that degree of knowledge, and it's a relatively simple exercise, you can create this pros and cons list to actually then be met with fact through your own experience of whether actually perfectionism works for you or not. And, you know, there are many perfectionists who actually don't see an adaptive side, who actually fail to connect with an adaptive element of it, and they're so wrapped up in the maladaptive elements that they, they can't find a way out, and the solutions for them are slightly different than than they are for others. But it simply comes down to gaining as much knowledge of this subject as you can at an early age so that you're spared from the type of experience that I went through, which was a heart attack at the age of 43, was caused by my negative perfectionism, um, and you know the 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 earlier we can do that with our kids, the better. Which is why I wrote the book. Talk about the book for a minute, because I, first of all, you're talking to a
0: superhero geek here, so I love <laughs> that it's a superhero. T- tell me about the story.
1: Sure. So the the, the book. I wrote the book to be the book that I should have read at the age of which I'm pitching to brilliant. So, you know, I grew up in the, I was born in 74 and perfectionism really wasn't discussed in much detail before 1990. So any of us growing up uh, and and parenting before that point, there's a reason why perfectionism wasn't, wasn't kind of in our lives as much as, as it is now. Um, so ostensibly, what I, I I created Captain Perfection actually for my TED talk on this on, on the subject, reframing perfectionism, the vital need for change. Um, and the 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 idea with Captain Perfection was I realized that actually, whilst we celebrate perfection or perfectionism, or the strive for it, there's no actual visual that goes with that. So I was thinking, well, how do I actually visualise perfectionism? And that's very difficult to do. And then realising I needed to tell a story within the TED Talk, I created the character. The extension of creating the character was to bring it into book form to educate kids rather than you know spread a general message about how we can think about um, perfectionism differently, which is very much what the TED Talk represents. So the the book, Ostensibly empowers your child to build their own self-compassion superpower, with the idea with the idea being that the book offers techniques, it offers stories, it offers really you know valuable ways that you can um, connect with self-compassion to combat maladaptive perfectionism when it when it. Uh, when it strikes. The idea being that kids develop this language so that as they grow older, they can notice the difference between adaptive perfectionism and maladaptive perfectionism to be able to balance their traits. So the book doesn't come from a place of, um, doesn't intentionally come from a place of, here's a book to get rid of your child's perfectionism. It doesn't come from that place because I actually believe that, as as we talked about earlier, the adaptive side can be super useful to us. And we should retain that because it's our duty to fulfill our potential. And the minute we start lowering standards to aim for excellence, for example, we don't achieve what we could have achieved. And it's super important that we do. So this book addresses self-compassion or offers self-compassion in a way that it can be used to hopefully keep the adaptive traits whilst managing the maladaptive ones.
0: Is there a, I'm going to ask for a quick fix. I'm going to ask for a magic bullet where a parent can recognize, um, that they're in a maladaptive perfectionist strategy or that their child is in a maladaptive perfectionist strategy. Is it what you said? Just anxiety, depression, that type of stuff that, that, if they're feeling that they need to consider it or cause you, you talk about, you know, the keyword to unlock the perfectionist potential which is I would like to know what that keyword is. But is there a quick fix moment of if you're doing this, then you need to recognize you are imposing perfectionism on a child or your child is imposing perfectionism on themselves or the world?
1: Right. Um, yeah, great question. And I, I think the the role of the parent when those perfectionistic um when those perfectionistic episodes are happening the role of the parent is is to strongly connect with this which is your child in that moment is not capable of taking anything that's remotely rational or um, goodwilled to actually overcome the issue so parents need to think about perfectionistic episodes in two ways they need to think about the present moment and then the moment afterwards so let's take a child for example who's uh doing an art project and for whatever reason he or she is not happy with the work that they've done there's a huge tantrum they're young enough to throw themselves on the on the floor there's tears there's you know life's going to end etc etc parents at that moment will not be able to get through to their child in a way that they would like to. So simply by recognising that and treating the situation differently will help the, the child immensely. You know, just try and be present. Don't fix the issue there and then. You know, it's comfort them in the way that you know you can, you know, be through touch or words, whatever that is. But diffuse the situation, don't try and fix it. Afterwards, you can then further their education and much as we've just spoken about it's about the knowledge well what, why did this happen get them to connect with the physical aspects of it so did you notice any physical um, reaction to when you made the mistake so we've established that the mistake was the trigger okay so get them to connect with the physical aspect then talk openly about you know the trigger itself in terms of what was it about the mistake that actually created the, the, the chaos that ensued afterwards? Was it simply the mistake? Was it the fact that his, his or her best friend wouldn't have made that mistake? Was it a comparison issue or was it, was it self, um, uh, reflective? Um, and then, you know, once you get, once you start getting to, to those, uh, those levels of understanding where it comes from, then you can really start to dig in and and manage it effectively.
0: Is perfectionism largely a visual spatial experience? Can you see the perfect picture and spend your time striving to match reality to the picture you hold in your head? Or is it something different than that?
1: Um. Well, it, as, as is actually illustrated in the book, you know, per- perfectionists, um, we're so results-orientated, um, and perfectionists often think there's only one way to do things. Um, we're governed by a fixed mindset, and and the reason why we are is because we're very comfortable within our, you know, limited parameters because we're in complete control of what we do within it. The minute that we widen the, the parameters, the more control we have to give to external forces, which makes us go a bit crazy. Um, So can you see perfection? I think a child um, knows what they want to create, but because they feel that there's only one way to do things, that's the bit that creates the chaos in the example that we were just talking about. So they they will be thinking, okay, it's the method rather than the visual of what it looks like. Now, it's not to say that, you know, perfectionists don't, like, for example, when we were trying to create a perfect uh, performance of Hamilton every night, I knew what I wanted that to sound like. And ostensibly, the reason why I knew that is because I've, you know, got the album in my dressing room and I know the show <laughs> inside out. And it's like the show, the live show, needs to sound like the Broadway recording. I mean, it's not hard. Um, and so, but it's interesting then how you get into the weeds of comparison, so I would, at the end of my shop, for example, say, okay, well, was that the the, the best it could be? And by comparison, I, I mean to, to, uh, the same product elsewhere, but also, the same product that you created last night. You know, it is is tonight's performance more perfect than last night's? If so, why? And you know, it's 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 a managing perfectionism in that way is a very personal choice.
0: Does does captain perfection does he ever go into the concept of forgiveness and experiencing forgiveness or forgiving himself for not being perfect and how Absolutely. does a perfectionist work up to that
1: um so self compassion has three components self kindness where we learn to be warm and understanding to ourselves Uh, mindfulness where we discover how to absorb uh, how to observe thoughts and feelings as they arise but not necessarily to suppress or deny them and then there's common humanity where we recognize that suffering and imperfection is part of the human experience so the combination of those three things really help um, children connect with forgiveness Um, self-kindness you know if they make a mistake uh, so let's let's Flip it around the other way. If they if they make a mistake, they might consider common humanity to be a fix. Well, everyone makes mistakes, and so therefore it's okay for me to do so. Um, Mindfulness um, is super useful for keeping a child in the present moment. So much of a child's perfectionistic uh, outburst will be associated with the past or the future, Um, and. They're not necessarily in the present or present enough to be able to react to their mistake in a solid way. So simply by coming back to the to the present uh, and getting out of the the past or the future is super valuable. And then I, th- I think the the bottom line for me, and I'm asked this question a lot. You know, what what is what what do you th- what do you think is the is the root of perfectionism in most people? And I always use the same answer, and it's self-worth. If you actually believe that you are worthy of forgiveness, then you will offer yourself forgiveness. Um, And, you know, much much of the the work of self-compassion can actually inspire self-worth from a really healthy place, which enables us to manage perfectionism much better.
0: You've moved from being one of the top music directors in the industry, and then you know the 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 drive and the perfectionism of that, as you said, drove you to a heart attack at forty three. After that, were you done? Were were did you did you just say, "Okay, this is no more. I got to change paths. I got to trade this in for something else," or you know, did did this start with a big? Uh, Did you enter the therapy world and try to really analyze your childhood and stuff, or are you still going strong, but have this managed?
1: Yeah, so so the heart attack actually happened four months into my tenure on on Hamilton. I was the music director of the first national tour, so we opened in San Francisco, and I had the heart attack on on a walk on the way home after a show.
0: So it happened at the beginning while you were working with. Correct. Oh my
1: gosh. Correct. And so tests proved that my right coronary artery was ninety percent blocked, and so initially we thought, okay, well. Let's put this down to not looking after myself and the stress of the job. Um, I contacted a, a psychologist, uh, Michael Klein, who was amazing. And actually, he was the first person to, to kind of get into the weeds a little bit and start to analyse whether perfectionism played a role. And as we discovered through, through further sessions, it absolutely did. Um, the heart attack was ostensibly caused by... Um, Debauchery at very high levels throughout <laughs> my late teens, twenties, into my early thirties, trying to quieten the inner critic. Right. So everything was so loud all the time. Everyone was always better than I was. My low, my self esteem was so low. It was in the car park. It wasn't even in the building. And you know the and so I would I would have a good time. To feel much better about myself sure. uh, and sadly my body kind of enjoyed it at the time but um yeah didn't didn't kind of enjoy the the results many years after so we kind of came to the conclusion of that because you know i'd made all of the lifestyle changes that i needed to like five years before the attack it was just that i'd done the damage wh- when i'd done it so because the attack happened so early in hamilton you know i had two stents put in i was back at work within a week oh jeez But then you go, okay, uh, how do I now learn to, like, what does this mean? Right. Like, you know, like 20 years of professional high-flying at a very high level and achievement was very slowly unravelling before my eyes as being something that is not only unhealthy. But actually, if I continue it, it might actually kill me. But all of this is
0: happening at the exact same time that you are responsible for delivering such a powerful, incredible message and performance. You have to be at the top of your game. So, yep. so you don't get to suddenly quit on perfectionism and you're back at work a week after having two stents put in. <laughs> like, how could you not be a perfectionist? How how could you not?
1: Sure, absolutely, and you know it's that uh, I I I kind of liken it to to an alcoholic. An alcoholic can only really heal himself or herself if they admit they have a problem. And the minute you walk through that gate, the minute you suddenly find a whole new world because you're open to thoughts and feelings that you have, haven't been connected with, but also you're open to potential solutions. Um, and that, I won't lie, when the, when I went back to work, um, it was incredibly difficult because I, I knew that any further stress of that sort of level was going to potentially push me over the edge. But I still had a job to do, I still had superiors that were demanding a certain standard of the show, and I had very well-established methods that I used to um, create those standards. Um, and I think the, the, the biggest thing that I, I kind of connected with, and Brené Brown was super useful in this through her, her book, um, Gifts of Imperfection, was that you know, she talks about authenticity um, and authenticity for me has has kind of become the the sort of root of my own journey with perfectionism. Am I being my authentic self in any given situation, or is something else, i.e. perfectionism, actually driving me to do the things that that uh, I, I was doing? So how I started to to realize that within Hamilton was. Am I I reacting to the situation or is the perfectionism reacting to the situation? And it's important, and I encourage anybody, any perfectionist or or any parent of of perfectionists, to actually treat your perfectionism as something. Give it a name, give it a visualisation, and start to think of it as something that is not you. It's not all bad i mean i've i've worked with people who have i um, i I've, I've worked with with an actress uh, a couple of years ago a uh, couple of months ago on this um where you know we we talked about adaptive perfectionism and maladaptive perfectionism as being the bad idea deer bears out of Avenue Q, the musical. <laughs> so that you've got one bear on, on one shoulder. You've got another bear on another shoulder. So adaptive, maladaptive. So what do these bears look like? What Who's saying what today, et cetera? And simply that level of visualization um, allows us to really connect with how perfectionism affects us because we're separating the, the message uh, and creating an external message rather than solely internal one.
0: All right, Julian. I want to use this time for you to uh, uh, make sure that that you say anything that you want to make sure is said in it. Final burnings, anything like that—stuff that, so stuff that uh, you you know your 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 consistent tags that you use through all your talks and speeches and stuff like that. So I'm just opening the floor to you in case there's anything that we did not cover that you definitely want to be covered.
1: Yeah, thank you. I mean, I, I think we've we've pretty much covered it. Uh, the the bottom line for me is, you know, perfectionists are incredible people. They can produce extraordinary results. We wouldn't probably be having this conversation without one of the leading perfectionists in the world, Steve Jobs, and everything that he's done for for technology. Um, so this isn't about overcoming perfectionism. This isn't about, you know, somehow failing your child by lowering expectations, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's inspiring belief, and this is the ultimate message that I try and carry in all of my work with perfectionism. It's inspiring belief that we are worthy of being better. And all that really means is examining perfectionism and looking at it through a slightly different lens so that we can maximize its opportunity, maximize the adaptive parts whilst managing the maladaptive parts in healthier ways. Um, The book Captain Perfection and the Secret of Self-Compassion does that. It illustrates it very nicely, very succinctly um, and offers tools for kids to kind of, your kids will be using what they learn in this book for the rest of their lives. I use it every day um, what, what I wrote about, um, and keep going, you know, don't be afraid if you're a parent, don't be afraid to, to push your perfectionistic kids, just do it in a way that is focused on the experience as well as the result. Uh, you know, it creates well-rounded children who, you know, the, 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 the want to succeed is innate in most perfectionists, that bit we don't have to work on. It's everything else that we do to make sure that actually they're capable of achieving their potential and realizing their potential in healthier ways.
0: I want to thank my guest Julian Reeve. Julian Reeve is the former music director of the Broadway musical Hamilton. And this, this self-proclaimed perfectionist contributor uh, has become the speaker and this author of Captain Perfection and the Secret of Self-Compassion. And parents, I want you to understand this is a self-help book for the young professionists. I also want you to go to julianreeve.com. J-U-L-I-A-N-R-E-E-V-E.com. Go there and check out his website. He's got a lot of information on self-compassion and other perfectionism solutions. I want to thank Deepin Productions for their amazing production of this podcast and the sound engineering that he does. I want to thank Your Cause Consulting for making sure that this podcast gets in front of the people who need it. Thank you so much, parents. My name is Aaron Hugh. I've been your host of Beyond Risk and Back. Remember, take care of yourself first, your adult relationship second, and your children third, Because in that way, we will do our best work with our children. I'll see you next week.